Hello and welcome back to ASM Connected, the podcast brought to you by ASM Technologies. In this episode, our account director Stephen is joined by Dave Russell, who is the VP of Solutions Engineering at Grafana Labs. Stephen and Dave discuss all things big data, why it's important and how you can communicate its value with visualization. They also talk about open source and its impact on the commercial side of Grafana Labs. This is a great conversation. I'm sure you're going to love listening to it. Over to you, Stephen. Dave is the VP of Solutions Engineering at Grafana Labs, and he's also the co-host of the long-running Roaring Elephant podcast. Grafana Labs support organizations with monitoring, visualization, and observability goals. Grafana are one of ASM's newest ASM Connected partners, and we've had some great successes with them so far across Europe. Welcome, Dave. How are you enjoying autumn so far? Hey, Stephen. I'm doing really well, and it's not been too bad. It, it's it's not been too wet, which is my only real kind of complaint about autumn. Is it can be one of those seasons where you just you don't see the sky, all you see is the rain. Yeah, I, I actually love autumn. Like you said, if it's dry, it's perfect. Yeah. Obviously, you're an American-based company, so we have to call it the fall you you say that so we're we're very much a a global organization which is a little bit strange to say for a, a small sort of 200 person startup but if you think our three founders one is based in europe one is based in sort of singapore slash the us depending on what's going on and one of them is based in australia very highly distributed organization well, it's a good spread. You've got it. You've got the planet covered, really, haven't you? <laughs> exactly. It's world domination from this point onwards. So I know it's called the autumn or fall. Maybe in other places they just refer to it as Q4. Oh yes, yes. Our financial uh, year is offset, so we are in the final month of our Q3 right now, and it's all getting down to the wire. Why not be a little bit different? Eh? Panic at a different time of the year from everyone else. Exactly. Just It's always good to distribute your panic evenly, I find. <laughs> Brilliant. I've sort of mentioned what Grafana do, you know, the official line of what they do. But have you got your sort of elevator pitch, your simple overview of what Grafana do for people that don't know? Yeah. So I think I, I would probably introduce it. Most people, when they hear the phrase or the word Grafana, they think of the visualization tool. And obviously that's a huge part of Grafana Labs. But really, Grafana Labs is all about the whole observability ecosystem. So we have products and services ranging from on-prem services for you to have highly scalable, highly performant time series data storage based on around Prometheus. And Graphite, we also have highly scalable, highly performant cloud-based services for metrics, logs, and soon tracing as well. So really anything and everything in that core observability stack, Grafana Labs has a product or service that you should be looking at. Excellent. I've not heard that term sort of observability ecosystem before, but I can see how it's massively encompassing and what's behind that is so vast that you can just continue to keep developing that platform so is is it moving along at pace in terms of you've just said the tracing and bringing out new tools it absolutely is yeah if if you look at how our products have evolved over the last even just the last two years we sort of announced something called loki which is our answer to logging probably 
about 18 months, maybe just over that, maybe it's closer, slightly closer to two years ago. Now, that was announced at KubeCon, and it was, you know, here's an open source project that we think is cool and interesting. We've made some interesting compromises or architectural decisions on how to do logging at a way that is very highly scalable to the way that people are going. Everybody's moving towards Kubernetes, everyone's moving towards containers, the volume of logs is increasing. And most of the traditional platforms, your Elastics, your Splunks and that sort of thing are really struggling to cope at a price point that people are willing to pay. And so we launched this about two years ago now. And Loki as a as an open source project has just accelerated beyond even our wildest dreams or expectations. It takes a different view of things in terms of most traditional logging platforms index all the data. So you have every single piece of the data heavily indexed, which means you can search on every piece of the data, but it's very computationally intensive, very storage intensive, very IO intensive. The downside to that is it makes the whole environment you're storing stuff in very slow or very, very difficult to manage at scale. You ask any sort of log analytics admin what their life is like and they'll be going through uh, regular times of pulling their hair out you know loki has a, a different view of the world we we very in index very lightly but we use the labels that come from service discovery and that align with the metrics so you get the metrics from prometheus you get the the labels from loki you correlate the two things seamlessly because it just works over that two-year period we've gone from a little open source project started really by Tom Wilkie, who's uh, our VP of product here at Grafana Labs, as a bit of a side project that he thought was interesting and could be useful in the space. It's grown and grown over the last two years to the point where it's a significant kind of enterprise offering. It's available as a, a cloud-based service on Grafana Cloud. And realistically, we've also seen some very nice deals starting to uh, come in to bump up those quarterly numbers we were talking about earlier. You know, Loki's just one example of a project that's seen some really nice, both community adoption, but also commercial adoption. Cool. So I'll, I want to work us and lead us towards talking a bit more about that sort of monetizing the products at the enterprise level. I think just to take it back a little bit, I'd like to run yeah. through a couple of things, just wanted to cover off some the concept of big data at a sort of simple level, then jump into a little bit around user experience, which is really important as a front end to all these fancy things going on in the background. And then, like I said, just discuss that enterprise level open source framework. So before we jump into that, just a little bit about your podcast. Obviously, great to have you here today with your experience, looking to learn from you. Tell us about your podcast. It started off as a bit of a experiment, really, with a, a friend of mine. We were working together at the same organization, Hortonworks, back in the day. We just thought it might be interesting to start uh, a podcast. Initially, it was around purely around big data. That was, believe it or not, nearly five years ago. And we've got around about 213, 214 episodes, depending on when this, this airs. And it's evolved a lot over the five years. We've got an audience somewhere in the range of, we think, twenty-five to 35,000 out there. And it's really, it's gone from strength to strength. We've diversified from just being big data to 
the tagline now is bite-sized big tech. So we focus on a decent focus on open source, but really all kinds of enterprise technologies. So we alternate between a news episode and a, a topic episode. We regularly get on special guests to talk through different technologies and give us a, a different view into things. So we've had everybody from people talking to us about the ins and outs of continuous integration and continuous deployment systems and how to get started through to individual open source projects like some of the original founders of Apache Cassandra or Redis or people just coming to us who are experts in the cloud space, talking to us about multiple different cloud providers, machine learning, AI, pretty much you name it, we've probably talked about it in the enterprise tech space. So there's a little bit of something there for everybody, I like to think. Yeah, I've listened to a few. Obviously, me sort of not being quite as technical, some of the topics that you cover in are just, like you say, just covering that whole ideas around big tech and, and trying to simplify some of the concepts as well. So yeah, exactly. I, was, I was able to follow on. If I had a pound for every time Kubernetes was mentioned, then uh, I'd be a rich oh, man. <laughs> yeah, we've literally just wrapped up as of sort of end of September, what ended up being a, a six-part odyssey on uh, intro it's the, the topic was introduction to containers and kubernetes and when we started it we thought we'll get through this in two maybe three episodes we try to keep them relatively short so people can consume them without thinking they have to dive into a giant multi-hour session but we just found that there was so much to talk about because containerization actually goes back a very long way far longer than you know most people that are aware of it now actually think about so it became a bit of a walk through history as to where you know, where containerization, virtualization, Kubernetes, and how all of these things sort of came together to where we are today. So it was a pretty interesting uh, set of episodes, but it, I must admit, it really did become a bit of an odyssey, and we were glad to get to the end of that and start talking about something different. When you say it goes further back than people might think, does it go as far back as your podcast? It does, actually. So the podcast, you're right, it's been around for about five years now. And we're actually celebrating our fifth birthday in November. And we're actually going to be doing something a little bit special for that. So people can stay tuned. But we I mentioned the evolution over the last six months or so. We've started to do video podcasts also on YouTube. So you can either consume it through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Deezer, Stitcher, Spotify, any of those platforms, or you can hop on YouTube and you can see both Jon and myself uh, talking about the topics themselves. So yes, it's it's been an interesting journey so far and uh, interested to see how it continues. Yeah, well, I'm honoured to be in the presence of a pioneer. Um, it's early days for me. I've only done a few. We'll see how it goes, but we're always learning. So just wanted to um, touch and move back into this whole concept of big data, which is a nice mm. kind of frame for the conversation. Is there a, a definition? Is there an accepted definition of what qualifies as big data? I think the, the wonderful thing about the phrase big data or the words big data is that it really means very different things to very different people. And you can hop on Wikipedia and you can get one definition. You can go and look at your favorite dictionary and, and check out another one. The sort of the Wikipedia one is sort of big data is a field that treats 
ways to analyze, semantically extract information from, or otherwise deal with data sets that are too large or complex to be dealt with by traditional data processing application software. Now, that's a lot of words that mean something to some people and mean less to others. You'll often hear people say about the Vs of big data and the number of Vs that are attributed to big data seems to be continuously increasing. I saw an article just this morning that there are now apparently seven Vs of big data and those sort of, you know, volume is the obvious one, you know, big. How much data are you actually looking at? Velocity, though, is the next one. And this is where you get into the sort of size of real-time data. It's no longer dealing with batches of data fired across every 24 hours. You've got real-time streaming data, maybe coming from IoT devices and a variety of data. So data coming from multiple different sources, maybe in multiple different types. Those were the traditional, so we say, the, the first three Vs of big data. And then people have added different, different other areas, which I also think are worth talking about. So you've got things like you know, variability, which is when you're looking at the data, it's, a lot of data is constantly changing. Think about a, a blend of coffee, that you have. You might buy the same coffee week after week, but the chances are that coffee blend will be slightly different because obviously the beans will be different. They'll be roasted fractionally different depending on where the beans were in the coffee roaster, you know, perhaps ground slightly different if, if the grinder was worn over time and things like that. And all those things will introduce a degree of variability into your coffee. And it's the same with data. Another one is veracity and making sure that the data is accurate. So you'll often see people in the big data space or hear people in the big data space talking about the cleanliness of their data and the accuracy of their data. Everybody's heard the term garbage in, garbage out. And that's this is one of the areas where the veracity of the data is absolutely critical. You know, if you're basing your business decisions on the data, you'd absolutely better be sure that the data is accurate and that you're actually verifying that that is the case. Another one, kind of appropriate, depending compared to what we're talking about today, is visualization. And this is one of the things that when people think about big data, they don't so much think about visualization. They think about all the processing and that sort of thing. But realistically, and we'll, I think we're going to get onto this a little bit later, visualization is absolutely critical in, in today's big data space. The ability to communicate what it is that you found in uh, an easy to consume way is absolute paramount. Showing a, a senior exec a giant table full of numbers, nothing's going to kill your project quicker than that. <laughs> and then the final V, apparently, and, until they add some more to the, the list, is value. One of the things that I often talk about on the Roaring Elephant podcast is that and the, all these enterprise technologies, they should be either adding money to your bottom line, or they should be saving you money. And if something isn't doing one or the other, or preferably both of those things, you really need to question, is this something that you actually need to be doing? Why are you doing this? Are you doing this just because it's a, an edict that, or are you doing this because you think everyone else is doing it? But again, you need to really step back sometimes and look at what's the value that you're getting 
out of this particular service or tool or technology for your organization. So the number of Vs that that define big data sort of changes over time. But I think that's a pretty good summary of big data and, and where it is today. Yeah, that's, that does clear it up. Uh, value for me is obviously jumps out being in a less technical role. Part of my job is to communicate the value of tools like yours to different stakeholders across the business. And I do enjoy listening to technical people talk about their products, but then making it relatable and thinking about the whole value proposition. So I think more of that goes on, the more everybody in the industry and all the stakeholders can sit around the table and have the same conversation. Um, Exactly right. It it always surprises me how many times people go headfirst into projects. And this is definitely more on their the people that get uh, starstruck by the latest fancy technology, they launch headfirst into these things without really any thought about what's the outcome that they're actually aiming for. What's the outcome, not the technical outcome, what's the outcome for the business that they're really aiming for? It still surprises me to this day that even with the sort of awareness that most people have of this, the number of projects that have either a very weak value or the value when you spend some time and inspect it from a couple of different angles, you know, falls apart or becomes, you know, less clear. It doesn't mean the technologies are bad. Are you using them in the right way? Do you have something else that you could actually invest a fraction of the effort into that would get you 95% of the way there? It's a particularly interesting topic that I think the enterprise as a whole is still struggling with. Yeah, we work a lot with sort of innovative, disruptive type of technology. So we see different approaches, different value propositions. And I think you often get the solution to the problem that didn't exist. Quite Mm -hmm. a lot of that. My favorite analogy there is the banana slicer. And then you see other solutions where they're just trying to be too broad brush. You know, they're trying to solve too many problems in one go rather than going deep to fix one problem. So I think people need to think about it's easier to communicate the value if it's aimed more specifically at solving one problem. So the whole my view of big data, I used to sort of be a bit cynical and take the mickey when people used to go, oh, yeah, big data is the next big thing. It's just a complicated multi-tab spreadsheet that's what your big data is (laughs) but I think big data was that buzzword that the industry quite some time ago was throwing around as the next big thing long before people were talking about AI automation the whole digital transformation exactly would you say that the whole big data drive it was talked about it became a reality to the point where it quickly sort of consumed everyone all these other things haven't they almost spun out of the problem of big data you're absolutely right and what's happened in my opinion is that big data has just has just become the new normal it's now for the most part it's just data it's no longer as as scary or challenging as it once used to be if you look at you know any of the major cloud providers services They've all got their highly scalable NoSQL solutions. They've all got their cost-effective block storage uh, engines. They've all got their parallel processing and their real-time streaming solutions. And all of these things have essentially just become a series of building blocks that you can chain together to actually produce a system that will process that data, harvest that data, 
gain insight into that data significantly easier than when the the buzzword bingo of big data first reared its head. It was something that people had very little insight into how they could actually do big data. But it's got to the point now where a lot of these things, you talk about machine learning, talk about artificial intelligence, it's all built on the data that's been gathered over the time through these different architectures in the first place. So yeah, it's big data now for a lot of people it's it's just data it's just yes all of the the v's that i talked about earlier are still part of it but people are just seeing that it it's no longer something scary it's just part of their everyday environment and systems yeah i like that sort of take away the big it's just data i think data the way we consume it as as end users things like on your phone and uh, wearable devices there was a time where we wanted to look at all that data. I remember sort of going through a, a Facebook or an Instagram, Twitter feed and thinking, I've got to catch up with all the data I've missed and every <laughs> everything that's gone through. But then we've all become a little bit more, you know, let's just consume the data that we need to, or we understand that we're not going to be able to see all the data. Exactly. So we need a way to surface it, which kind of leads us into that next conversation about the whole user experience. There's all that data out there. We can't consume it all. So how do you surface that in a relevant way and either solve problems or bring value to organization? How important is that to Grafana as a solution, putting that whole front end on? It's got to be the crux of your business, right? It is critically important for sure. I mentioned earlier, visualization is it's a method of communication. It's a method of transmitting insight of data directly into people's brains through their frontal cortex. The, the whole idea around visualization is to give that insight into the data. And poor visualization, you know, I, I talked earlier about a, a giant slide full of, full of a table of numbers being bad. But visualizations can also sync a project or do a bad job of communicating that insight as well. So it's really interesting to see how people interpret data. And there's a great YouTube video of a conference talk that I'll fire a link across afterwards and you can share with your your listeners that runs through how humans uh, interpret data. And it's not a specific thing. It's very generic almost academic style view of things. And it covers how humans consume data. And one of the really interesting things is they talk about when you're picking a visualization, you're really trying to get three different concepts across. So the first is detection. Can you see something in the data? Can just by glancing at a graph, can you actually immediately see what it is that the the graph is trying to portray. The second is assembly. So we we naturally group things together on a variety of different graphs. And so how you do that makes data easier to consume. And the third one, which I think is probably my favorite one, it's the one that I think is probably most important and probably least well understood by most people that just start slapping pie charts on everything, is estimation. So estimation is where you look at the discrimination between a couple of different values. 
on a particular visualization. So how you rank things on a visualization, you know, is this better than that? Certain visualizations make it very difficult to assess that. Or even the ratio, how much larger is this than that? So things like a pie chart or a stacked bar chart are notoriously terrible. And please, if anyone listening out there is still using pie charts or stacked bar charts, please stop as soon as possible and go and jump on this link that you'll find in the podcast notes and you'll be illuminated, I promise you. But <laughs> the the critical thing here is people often try to combine too much information into a single chart. And this is one of the things where sometimes the efficiency of having two different charts that show two slightly different visualizations of the same data, but they allow you to convey different uh, ideas. One great example is if you think about population growth. So if you think about the major continents of the world and their population growth, or their, their population numbers as plotted, you'll see a particular trend from each of them. But it would be very difficult for you to say, is GOA growing faster during this time period than GOB? Because the the sort of the lines will be further apart and you'll be looking at, you know, is that slope steeper or shallower? I don't know. I can't see that. You know, if you want to know the absolute numbers and you also want to be thinking about the growth, then actually having two different graphs, one which shows the numbers but another that converts those numbers to percentage growth. That's a great example of something where having two graphs and really clearly portraying what it is that you're trying to show is far better than trying to compress all the information into a single graph and hope that someone can discern the difference. I really relate to that, obviously. Consuming and working with data myself, I'm fascinated by who decides how you sort of surface that data and what to surface it, on the subject of pie charts i'm still sort of mortified and getting over the fact that pies became donuts at some point but i'm from the i'm living in the northwest of england it's all about the pies around here absolutely nothing wrong with a good pie i tell you <laughs> but yeah i when i've worked with reasonable size data business reports the skills of an executive is to be able to interpret that data or be able to see the patterns of that data before it's been made look pretty. So if you're taking away some of that skill, are you taking it away or has you just moved it to a different part of the process? So at what stage are the technical people and the executives sitting down together to say, okay, how do we decide how we want to look at the data and what we want to surface is the intelligence of the platform doing that for you or at which point does the input come from the different stakeholders yeah so i think that's a that's an incredibly important point and what we tend to see happening more and more is there's a closer collaboration between the intended consumers of the the visualization and the people that are preparing those visualizations you can almost align it to the sort of the world of DevOps where you used to have this world where you'd have development teams and they would work on their code, throw it over the wall to operations. Operations would then say, this doesn't work the way that I expected and throw it back. And that was the bad old world. And now we're in this wonderful world of DevOps where development and operations working seamlessly hand in hand. It's you know, the same team in many cases, the people developing it are also the people running it in production. 
that there is no sort of inconsistency between the two the two sides of the coin if you like and what we see in the visualization space is much of the same of that is now happening you've got people producing the the visualizations and the alerts and all the things that are linked from that are actually taking time with the consumers of that information to make sure that they're getting across the right things that people actually care about, whether that's the execs, whether that's the operators in a, a network operations center or you know wherever it might be. The sort of the whole idea about there being these two separate communities and they be throwing data in between each other is very much dead and gone. The other thing that's changed in this space is that it used to be execs would have you know, no idea really about what the tooling was underneath that generated these visualizations. They would just say, show me what I want to see. Someone would go and beaver away and fiddle around with Excel for a bunch of days and then produce a bunch of graphs that maybe showed what was expected and maybe didn't. Now you've got solutions like Grafana that make the creation of those visualizations really so incredibly easy and accessible that we see execs going into Grafana, having access to Grafana, and actually going and when they have a question, actually self-serving and and going in, looking at the data that they're interested in and trying to understand for themselves. Now, the really nice thing about this is it creates a really good feedback loop between the people further down in the organization, the more responsible for the data and the systems and the visualizations used widely and the the execs that are consuming it. So it really levels the playing field. Yeah, I think it's a great idea to create that loop because I was concerned that if the data or if the outcome of the data is handed to you on a plate, so to speak, and you've not gone in to get the data and manipulated it yourself, sometimes you might lose the essence of where it's come from and maybe miss out on pulling the data out in a different way because you haven't interacted with it quite so much. So I, I like the idea of people being able to dip into it and, and shape what comes out the other end. I've seen some um, sort of examples of good and bad. I think it's important what you say that an, an exec wants to see data in a different way from the network operations center. I've seen an example, there was one product the RIT department tested out and it had the most amazing user interface. They'd almost gamified the platform, which just really resonated with network operations people that that wanted to see the data. It it literally looked like a game. But when we looked at it, the, the actual data behind the fantastic front end wasn't what we wanted it wasn't what we expected so i can Mm. see some people can go the other way and focus too much on that front end but what good is that if what's under the hood is not giving you what you wanted so you've got to find that balance exactly right the sort of the cycles that we see happening in this space will play out time and time again there'll be some advancement there'll be some some catalyst that will improve things in one particular direction and the the whole ecosystem will pivot in that sort of area and then that will become the new norm and then the space continues to evolve in that way and it's one of the reasons that i i love working in the open source world i've been dealing with open source solutions and services for well over two decades and i I just love the speed at which these things evolve and we've seen this any i've certainly seen this any number of times in, in my career but the open aspect of this, the community aspect of this, 
you get inputs and feedback from areas that you maybe hadn't even considered. And so that's one of the nice things about this mixture of where we're going and how people are consuming this information. I can definitely see a future where you will get to a point where you'll have some data and the the services or the solutions will be suggesting, well, based on the data and based on what we know about that data, I think this is probably the visual that you're looking for, or here are a few options that highlight different aspects of the data. And this is this is obviously the future and this is where things are potentially heading. But it's really interesting to imagine a world where you're no longer presented by a huge window of different types of visualizations, but instead uh, a carefully tailored selection of, based on the data, I think this is what the data is showing. And yeah, these are some suggestions of the best way to visualize that. That's exciting. Like you say, I think that technology is already there, really. It's just piecing it together and moving quickly enough in that direction. I'm, I'm thinking consuming that data in a Star Trek holodeck type scenario. And I, I don't think there we're too go. far away, are we? There you go. Minority report. Here we go. Yeah, well, I mean, as long as you're willing to, to slap on a, a pair of fairly daft looking uh, 3D headset, then I think we're already there. Yeah, I'm not so sure about that for me, Dave. I'll get back to you on that. But you lead us nicely into what you mentioned about the way that the products develop at pace and involve input from different stakeholders is part of that whole open source drive. The freedom and freeness of it is helped that along. But when and we work with a lot of people in that open source area, innovation, disruption again follows with open source. But there is a lot of money going around now in terms of enterprise level in, in something that used to be free. Do you think the industry can monetize it, charge to support it, but keep that ethos of openness and keep the pace going? Is anything going to be sacrificed or can we carry on as we are? So I, I think we, we've seen a variety of different things happening over the last, specifically the last kind of couple of years. We've seen a, a variety of open source projects go through some fairly sort of nasty conversations with major cloud providers you know, going through exercises like changing their their software licenses to protect themselves from being gobbled up by cloud providers uh, and things like that and i honestly i don't see any any end to that kind of cycle anytime soon what the majority of open source based organizations need to work out is how they can work with the cloud providers in some way shape or form that is ideally beneficial to both and that's definitely an area that will be of continued focus as open source projects develop the monetization strategies vary over time and from organization to organization grafana labs takes an approach where the core of all of our offerings, whether we're talking about Grafana or Loki or Cortex, is open source. But we provide enterprise add-ons to those products and we have enterprise offerings of those products or services. We also have cloud slash sort of SaaS versions of those products and services as well. So the idea being that there's really something there for everybody. 
know, one thing we're we're very careful about and we're always agonizing about is if we come up with the idea for a new feature, should this go in our enterprise product or should this go in our open source product? And the way that we look at this is we look at this as a, a bit of a sniff test. And we look at this, well, one of the things we can never do is we can never cripple our open source products. Our adoption is our lifetime, our lifeline. If we don't continue to see projects like Grafana and Loki and others continue to accelerate their adoption, then you know we're limiting the pool of potential prospects that we could over time convert to commercial. And you know, not everybody will be a fit for and will want to convert from open source to commercial. If open source does what they need, then that's great. But we try and focus on is a feature that we want to add something that really only enterprises will care about and the majority of open source users will not be as bothered about. So if you think about someone running Grafana at home in their sort of their home lab that they like tinkering thing with things and they've got it, you know, set up to all of their smart heating systems and, and their smart lights and they're able to show dashboards about when people are in different rooms and all that sort of stuff. Those people probably don't really care about having sort of encryption in certain places or having the sort of ability to integrate into enterprise authentication systems or have hugely fine-grained role-based access control. That's not really something that the majority of open source users are really caring about. So that's how we have that internal conversation about new features, where do they go? But it's also about how we can justify the you know, the price, if you like, or talk about the value for our enterprise services. We, we try and make sure that we're always focusing on areas where the enterprises will actually care about that. So things like adding key store support so that you don't have passwords or your information in config files. For a home user, they won't even think twice about it. For enterprise, oh yeah, they're definitely going to want that sensitive information in a key store that they can integrate with through secure APIs. So for us, it's all about making that distinction and making that sort of that choice and really focusing on what enterprises care about and making sure that our solutions are focused around things like reducing developer time or improving that mean time to innocence is one concept, mean time to resolution is another, and really just making sure that we're producing the best solution or service we can with handling more data faster at a reduced TCO. So there's kind of a variety of different angles that we look at on this, but they're all very tightly aligned. You can tell it's a mature conversation in treading that fine line. And I think if if you maintain that integrity of what it's all about, then it can continue to be successful. And we've seen in that enterprise space, people are investing in open source products and, and supporting and developing. There's a lot of you out there that are obviously having those conversations and getting that balance right at the moment. Yeah, it's a really interesting area of the industry. At ASM, we work closely with Grafana and, and companies like you. And it's, yeah, it's a great journey. And I look forward to seeing what's going to come down the line next. Absolutely. It's been great, uh, great chatting with you, Stephen. Yeah, it's been fantastic. I've really enjoyed it. 
And obviously, I urge anybody to go and have a look at your podcast, the Roaring Elephant podcast. I've learned a lot today. I was a little bit scared about chatting to a VP of Solutions Engineering, but you haven't been nearly as scary as I thought, Dave. Wonderful stuff. Well, I try not to be too scary, at least not unless people ask me to. It's been great chatting to you. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of ASM Connected. Over the next few weeks, we've got some more great guests joining us on the podcast. So make sure you subscribe so that you don't miss out. If you'd enjoyed this episode, then we'd really appreciate it if you could leave a review on your podcast app of choice. Finally, if you'd like to find out more about what we do here at ASM, head over to our website at asmtech.com.